0: The Wiggly Podcast. Let your iPod bloom! Welcome, listener, to Podcast 35. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers, and this week I'm sat on the Wiggly Armchair, instead of the sofa, because there's just me. Richard's on holiday, and every other team member of Wiggly Wigglers is setting up our garden at Gardener's World Live. Now, you must come and see it. I think it's going to be corking. Now, you know how most gardens are shades of shade or reflections in a lawn. Well, our garden is something different. It's called Dave's. Dave's garden is a lawn, and it's a lawn where he plays football with his kids. He's married to Sharon. There's a washing line on there. All his football kit is out, but he has created his own little piece of Herefordshire countryside right next to the lawn, and it's absolutely packed with wildflowers. And he's put out his camp bed, an old green camp bed. He's got his tinnies, he's got his iPod to listen to the World Cup report, and he's lying back on the bed watching the world go by. He's got wild strawberries to pick out whenever he fancies a little snack. You know, it'd be nice if he had pims, but he's got, what's it called? Carlsberg or whatever sponsoring the World Cup. And he's also got, and this is my favourite bit, a barley meadow. And in the Barley Meadow, habitat's provided for voles and mice because Dave's got local owls. So there he is in his oasis in the middle of the NEC. Come down and see it because this is the second ever Wiggly Wigglers show garden proper. Now, will we be up for a gold? Will the RHS judges get it? Or is it just a crummy garden? I don't think it is. I really don't. Come down to the NEC the show runs between Wednesday and Sunday, and we need to finish our garden by tonight, that's Monday, because the judges are coming tomorrow. See you there. This week's podcast is from Hay Festival. It's a special and it's Jenny and I talking about the new Wiggly book.
1: Hello everybody. It's nice to see so many of you here. It's nice to see that you've all come to celebrate Wiggler's success in publishing our first book. My name is Richard, I work at Wiggly Wigglers, and amongst the audience here we have several people that play a vital part in the mechanisms of Wigglers. Phil, for instance, here farms Blakemere. Phil's got a cracking wound on the side of his head where he kind of kicked in the eye from a cow last night. We also have Rachel, where are you, Rachel? There, there you are, right next to you. Rachel, you'll see in the book, looking quite radiant next to the pond.
2: <laughs>
1: Jodie is also featured in the book. Uh, where are you, Jodie? Are you around somewhere? There you are, right at the back. And uh, it's incredible that Jodie managed to stay still enough for long enough to have a photograph taken. <laughs> we also have a few key people that played a very, very important part in the creation of the book. We have Mark Eccleston, for instance, who contributed a great many fantastic photographs. We also have Michael, who's on the other end of the camera filming me at the moment, and Mary. And these guys are outstanding. Their graphic design is, is unsurpassed. You know, in many respects, the book has been made as a consequence of their contributions. Okay, so without further ado, let me introduce Managing Director of Wiggly Wigglers, Heather Gorringe, and author of this book, Jenny Steele. There you go, okay, ensconced we are. The first question I wanted to ask you, Heather, is why did you call Wiggly Wigglers Wiggly Wigglers?
0: Why did you ask me that, Richard? I sometimes wonder why they call the company Wiggly Wigglers, especially when I go into the bookshop on the festival ground and find out that all our books are in the children's section. Um, uh, I think originally it was because I initially started worm composting and wigglers is the American word for worm and I went to the patent office and I said I'd like to call my business wigglers and they said oh I'm very sorry madam you can't do that that's a descriptive word you must call it something wigglers well what else wigglers could there be but wiggly wigglers so it's memorable the vat man remembers it as well <laughs> yeah. as anybody else.
1: Is that such a good thing? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> the garden here that, that you guys built the week before last when in the torrential rain, and you were absolutely plastered in mud, weren't you? But it, it's come out really well. It looks fantastic now. What's your favourite bit of the garden here?
0: I love the barley because I just think that's so cool, a, an alternative to a bedding plant that's not lobelia or whatever. Yeah. But my favourite bit is definitely the wildflower meadow.
1: It is fantastic, isn't it, the way it sort of breaks up the lawn. You know, you've got swathes of the meadow. And there's an interesting extract in this book that I'd like to read. Jen is written, and the paragraph's called Making the Meadow it starts a certain amount of preparation is necessary for wildflower meadow is to be really successful wildflowers growing in grassy places will always look amazing and attract huge quantities of wildlife just imagine field scabious and knapweed on a grassy roadside but a truly diverse meadow area with lots of plant species in every square meter is harder to create indeed we cannot make a wildflower meadow we can only recreate an approximation of this wonderful habitat In the wild, meadows have evolved over many hundreds of years, with annual intervention by man and beast, hay cropping, grazing and poaching by the animal's hooves. Having said that, a garden meadow is such a wonderful place that Heather and the team were determined to make this area in their garden very special indeed. And to put that into context, Jen is referring to the beginning of the book, in fact the feature throughout the book, whereby we're talking about the creation of the garden at Blakemere. I wanted to ask you you two, because you joined forces, you got together to write this book, but you have quite different backgrounds, don't you?
2: I think in many ways Heather and I are quite similar. In other ways we're extremely different and between us we probably make up one useful person. Uh. Heather is very interested in... As she calls it the wow factor of that garden just (laughs) something that hits you as soon as you walk in whereas i will be there with a hand lens looking at a little bug that's a quarter of an inch long or whatever so i'm very interested in the details of of what i do and our backgrounds are extremely different in in the sort of academic sense in that heather i think initially was doing the design course i think (laughs) um but i'm a plant ecologist so my background is one where I studied and did a lot of research on interactions between plants and animals which has given me a fantastic background for what I now do which is just writing about wildlife garden.
1: Yeah so you are well placed to be able to judge whether or not a garden is in fact a wildlife garden.
2: I think any garden is a wildlife garden up to a point. It's just a question of how much effort you put in to make it a really good wildlife garden.
1: Yeah, So by contrast Heather how did you Start off? I mean, you know, how did you start in life?
2: In, in my
0: whole life. Yeah, in I'm your whole, whole life. Yeah, in the <laughs> beginning. The,
1: the original, before Wigglies So going back before Wigglies was.
0: Um, art and design, really. Um, yeah. And then the idea always was that I would be my own boss. Right. And um, that was absolutely within me. My father was his own boss. Um, And I think his father before him was his own boss, if a poacher, gamekeeper kind of boss. This
2: is actually something we've got completely in common. And uh, I think it's given both of us a very similar outlook on our work. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Absolutely, so I think we've, we've all got something in common we, Your dad used to like fishing and your father used to like fishing and I'm passionate about fishing even though you two don't actually like fishing but do you think you know, those hours on the riverbank gave you a, a, a kind of sense of observation you know, a sense of being able to observe in detail the things that existed around you? No,
0: I was bored <laughs> <laughs> but I did, did spend a lot of time just dreaming about what could happen and what couldn't happen but I really find it difficult to see detail Right. And I'm not interested in detail, but the idea of going out into the garden and just seeing this amazing just swath of flowers yeah. is what interests me. Right. But I certainly dreamt a lot while I was yeah. following my dad fishing. Yeah, but yeah. it was different for
2: you, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. I mean, to a certain extent... Fishing was my father's profession.
1: Right.
2: He had a fishing tackle shop, and and so I spent most weekends either sitting on a riverbank waiting for something to be caught or travelling around Oxfordshire, my home county, because he would have to do a river report for our local paper once a week, which involved standing on a bridge yes, there's water, it's running this fast and it's dirty or it's clean. I mean, it, that seemed boring, I have to say. But it did give me an opportunity to get really interested in just natural history in general. Nice. And particularly in birds, I'm a very keen bird watcher. And I learnt all my wildflowers, just right. sort of sitting and mooching about, yeah, was, you yeah, say, waiting yeah. for something to happen, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. But we also have worms in common, you realise.
1: Oh, no, right, how's that? Well,
2: you fish with worms. Oh, I see,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> oh, was way behind you then, yeah, yeah. But I, that was
0: actually the way that I started because my dad was a very keen fisherman and the idea originally was could I actually breed worms for fishing right. and then produce worm cows out of sheep manure. So yeah, that yeah. was the start of it.
1: Certainly. When you came together to do this book, what was your aim, Heather? What was the sort of message did you try and get across?
0: So I think there's 12.5% of UK land is actually garden. Right. Can you imagine the difference that we could <laughs> make? if we actually took time to turn that into a wildlife haven.
1: Yeah.
0: So my aim is really to change 12.5% of the UK right. into more wildlife-friendly gardens.
1: Okay, It's not yeah. a very high aim. No, not at all. <laughs> no. That's significant. What about you, Jenny? Well, what, uh...
2: I, again, I think this, this shows a real contrast between Heather and I because I feel if I can give one person more of a feel for what a wildlife garden is and how exciting it can be, I feel I've really achieved something. So there's Heather tackling it from the top and I'm just chipping away at the bottom there. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very, very keen on encouraging children in gardens. Both, I mean, I had my own little garden when I was about five and I think it's an incredibly good way of, of children learning about wildlife, learning about the environment and learning about growing food too, right. which is really, really important.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in many respects, this is a book that uh, is appropriate for children and yet it's very much something that an, an adult can get his or her teeth in as well, isn't it? Going back to Wigglies, the beginnings... I mean, were time? It was, it was difficult at the beginning, wasn't it? I remember you telling me a story where you had a whole load of worms and chicken muck on your kitchen table. <laughs> and you were kind of sorting through the worms and whatnot. You are all covered in head-to-toe in manure or something. And Phil came in and, he's, <laughs> and he said, are you sure you know what you're doing? And you kind of rested to tears. I mean, you know, obviously things weren't easy to begin with, were they?
0: No, I, I do remember once I went to the accountant. And he sat there and he said, Heather... I'm going to explain to you how business works. And I said, oh, that would be lovely, that would be very good. And he said, right, now sit down. I sat down and he said, now, at the beginning of the year you had this much money and you've spent this much money. And at the end of the year you have this much money. I said, yes, yes, I can see that. He said, now, it's time to give up. (laughs) And I said, right, right, right. And he said, it's time to give up and just stop. Otherwise, it's just not going to work out. And obviously, you know, you've got your dream. And and you're there in front of the accountant expecting him to give you the results and come up with ways of improving it, not tell you to stop. And so I I was very upset about it. And I I looked at him for ages. And and I just looked at him. And I realised that he'd got a teddy bear tie on. (laughs) All over his tie were teddy bears. And I thought, oh, I can't take any notice of you. You've got a teddy bear tie on. And so we sacked him and moved on. And it all turned out OK.
1: In the book, you make reference to um, some of your wiggly moments, some of the funniest moments, some of the, the moments that you've enjoyed the most. Is there a moment that hasn't been mentioned in the book? I mean, was there a time where you thought that you might have to pack it all in?
0: Well, that, that was that <laughs> moment, I think. Yeah. But there was, there's been utterly embarrassing moments you know like we had Prince Charles drinking his Earl Grey tea in the, in the dining room and talking about you know natural gardening and he said to me Heather I've got a great pair of tits in my garden <laughs> and I said have you really sir <laughs> and there was the other time that we were invited to exhibit at the Houses of Parliament oh we were so excited oh this is a wonderful opportunity for Wiggly Wigglers to go there But we weren't allowed to deliver our own worm composting kit. So how would we get a live, working worm composting kit into the Houses of Parliament? Jodie is a drummer, great drummer, if you want to book her. Um, And so she'd got some drum cases that we packed these worms into and we sent them ahead of us. And we got to the Houses of Parliament, bang on time, and all the security people came up to us and said, are you wiggly wigglers? And we said, yes. Walk this way, there's been a security alert, they said. So, oh dear, oh dear. And so we walked that way and it turned out that they opened the van door and the worms had escaped. I was in my best frock ever and the whole van was full of worms. And so we just shut the door and we said, it's absolutely fine, this is completely normal. We scraped them out, put them in and carried on with the exhibition. So that was a, you know, corking yeah, moment. Yeah, that was a
1: bit of an adventure, yeah, certainly. Going back a little bit now to uh, one of the reasons why this book was written, because it was very much written to give people an idea of what was achievable through the experiences of Wigglies and all the team. When you were building the garden, I mean, that was a whole adventure, wasn't it? There were, there were many, many things that, uh, during that time that you, you found quite exciting, and it was, a, it was very much a sort of team bonding exercise as well. And that was just before a visit by Prince Charles, wasn't it?
0: It was. We designed the garden in November which was fine and the idea was that throughout the next summer we'd put together the garden over a period of time you know when we had a spare moment we'd make the garden into this beautiful oasis for wildlife it would be a wonderful place for us to show products and then they rang up and said Prince Charles is coming in May for the tenant's lunch and so that meant that Obviously, we couldn't have the tenants or Prince Charles coming to a lunch where the garden was just completely obliterated because that's what you have to do to start a wildflower meadow off, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. So that speeded the whole thing up. So it was a bit like ground force. I was christened Alan because I didn't do it much, apparently. (laughs) And then there was Tommy that was Pip and Charlie that was Jodie who rushed around and, and got this thing so that you could actually tread on it rather than anything else
1: right, right, when I, when I look through this book all the information on there is pretty much spot on there's, but I have to say Jenny there's one inaccuracy that I've noticed and uh, it's on page 25 and on the top left hand corner you'll see Phil and it says um, it oh, says here,
2: I didn't write the captions
1: oh I see <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's I mean, Michael uh, right, Michael. You've, you've made a mistake because it says here farmer Phil puts his back into it uh, <laughs> and you can see, he's obviously pretending <laughs> to use that shovel. And when you go through the book, you'll see photos of Phil, which are more accurate because he's either leaning on something or sat down. <laughs> but, you know, otherwise the, otherwise the book's um, pretty spot on. There is a great photograph in here of a little furry creature, which I know you wanted to say something about.
0: Well, I think moles get a really hard time and for farmers it's really difficult dealing with moles because soil gets into the silage and that causes all sorts of problems. But in our garden I really can't see too much harm done by moles because they do aerate and they do eat lots of lots of bugs, don't they, Jenny? Um, So I just wanted to read out the first paragraph of the mole page because the mole turns out to be a feature creature, which in a wildlife book is a fairly brave move, I think, because it would be easy to choose a butterfly, wouldn't it? Or something beautiful, but a mole makes it. And Jenny says, The majority of gardeners despise the mole for the disruption it causes to lawns and flower beds. But a closer look at this beautiful little creature might well make them change their minds. Moles perform some very valuable tasks in the soil, aerating it and removing a variety of pest species, such as leather jackets, wireworms, slugs and snails. On the less positive side, they do consume a huge number of earthworms, which make up about 50% of their diet and are their staple food source. However, generally, a garden can cope with this loss as earthworms quickly reproduce to maintain their numbers. And I can certainly vouch for if you give an earthworm good soil, it will certainly reproduce its numbers in a short period of time. So I I really like the mole bit because I think it would have been easy to choose something less exotic. And I can't see much wrong with a mole tump, all you do is kick it, in my experience, (laughs) and it spreads the soil out and you won't Mm -hmm. even Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Jenny, I appreciate you've written several books geared around natural history previously. Was there anything difficult that you found about writing this book, other than working (laughs) with Heather?
2: Pinning Heather down, you mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, nothing, nothing difficult at all. I am used to just writing on my own. This is the first book that I've ever written with other people. But that was actually a really nice experience because it gave me an opportunity to, well firstly to, to get all the staff from Wiggly Wigglers to tell me what they liked about the garden and how they'd like it to be maybe different in the future and things that they'd seen and so on. And, and that in itself just indicated how incredibly important this garden had been for all the Wiggly Wigglers staff. And I very much enjoyed reading the things that they sent to me. Some of them weren't printable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure. really able to put those into the book. Yeah. But the majority of things were just wonderful. And I could, I could see how much joy this garden had brought to everybody. Apart from that, working with professionals, I mean, and I, I would like to say thank you to Michael for the amazing job that he's done on the on the design of the book. And working with Michael was just great.
1: There are some stunning photographs in here from various uh, contributors I mentioned earlier on. John Harding as well. Who I've Is John here in the audience? There he is. Yeah, John, uh, John came on a podcast with us a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? And brought some stunning photographs of a, a, a petrol and a cuckoo. Yeah. Um, did you think the photography in this book would be as good as it is?
2: No, I, I really didn't. I mean, partly, I mean, obviously quite a lot of the photographs are mine and I look at my own photographs and I never think they're very good but somehow Michael has magically transformed them so they look great, which is wonderful and a lot of the photographs are his and he's a superb photographer and then the two guys, John and, and Mark particularly birds. I mean, birds are very, very difficult to photograph well. I just don't do bird photography at all because they move around too much. So having some of the wonderful bird photographs, I was just amazed at the the quality of those. I thought they were great.
1: You mentioned the the contributions from the team that were made, that are made in the back of the book. There are various extracts from from the whole team, pretty much, I think.
2: Yes, just about. And and you
1: you mentioned that a couple of those you really liked... I just wondered
2: if you would like to read one of those out. Yeah, sure. For those of you that don't know, Heather and Phil have a son, Monty, who is eight? Nine. Nine Nine now. I mean, this this is just the end of his little piece, which I just identify with and absolutely love it. I mean, first of all, he actually writes quite a bit about what he liked about the garden and his own involvement, which I, I won't read now. But I did also ask everybody if there was anything they would like to see that would improve the garden. And Monty said, "I would like to see a swimming pool," which I, I thought was very down to earth and um, honest. But then his last sentence is simply, "Our garden was just grass and a few pear trees before, and now I think it's amazing." And I just thought that was lovely because you can tell that he really loves the garden and he really enjoys it, and he grows vegetables and all sorts of things. But there was another little bit that I wanted to read, and this this is from Nicky. I don't know if is Nicky here. No? <laughs> oh, sorry. A little embarrassing, then. But Nikki says In the summer, I love going out to sit outside while eating my lunch with the warm summer sun shining down, the fresh air, and all the different flowers and plants giving off their scents. The sounds of the bees and insects buzzing around and the birds singing is amazing and I can watch them eating from the feeders, going to feed their young and then hearing the loud tweeting of the babies in the nest boxes, all wanting to be fed first. I find it relaxing and it's lovely to get out of the stuffy office with the ringing of the telephones etc. I find it a time to recharge my batteries and chill out. There is one thing though I would really like to see in the garden that would improve it. Chris Beardshaw. <laughs> now that would improve things no end. I will gladly give up any spare time to help that one come to pass. <laughs> so there we are. A beautiful garden, yeah. but it could be better.
1: Unfortunately, Chris couldn't be with us. <laughs> there was also an extract from Sandra who sat over there, who is looking equally lovely. And I know, Heather, you wanted to read something, a contribution that Sandra had made. Because... Sandra is incredibly efficient and looks after all the financial side of the entire company, but it might be true to say that she doesn't get involved in the gardening side quite as much as um, I think somewhere
0: in here it says she hates gardening (laughs) and um, I think You know, pre-Wiggly Wigglers, this would have been a stripy lawn. So this one gives me great joy. I find the garden really inspiring. It gives you the confidence to try something in your own garden. For example, I've planted a wildflower area at home. Having seen how nice it can be and learning about the benefits it provides gave me the confidence to give it a go. I have numerous feeders around the garden and different seeds to attract different birds, including three woodpeckers. I used to pick up all the apples and pears that fell on the ground in my own garden. Now I'm happy to leave them for wildlife. And I just love that because that says it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Another fantastic. Content. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it goes to show. I mean, interestingly enough, how many people in the audience are gardeners? So, quite a lot of you. How many people use slug pellets? <laughs> oh, well, we've still got a long way to go. <laughs> uh, oh, I you shouldn't put your hand up, Phil. Of course, you do use slow press, don't you, Yeah. Even though I, I, I give Phil a hard time, the podcast that I mentioned earlier on, Phil's very busy. He's, he's engaged in many, many things. He's a great ambassador for agriculture. One time we were doing our podcast, and Phil had finished his cameo, gone outside, and one of his trees had fallen down on a water butt at the field. So he's rummaging around in the farmyard to try and find another water butt. He picks up his great big galvanised butt. And underneath the butt was the most amazing great crested newt. Just a beast of a thing, it's probably seven inches long. They're fantastic animals, I don't know if many of you have seen them. You, you, they're not as common as they, as they could be. They exist at Blakemere, I think, because we've got a, a combination of ponds. They like several ponds dappled around in, a, in a, you know, close proximity. So Phil came running, we ran outside and Michael came running out and we took all the photographs of, uh, of these great crested newts. And in the book, there is a, the, one of the feature creatures that Jenny's put in is the great-crested newt. Incidentally, we, all, we have open days at Wiggles as well now, either in aid of uh, National Garden Scheme or Herefordshire Nature Trust. And last year, Monty and I, had Heather's son, we were pond-dipping and we found great-crested newt larvae. And that's the first time, since I was possibly a little bit older than Monty, that I've found great-crested newt larvae. But anyway, Jenny says, Great-crested newts are one of Britain's treasures internationally they are rare and protected amphibians but in this country we're fortunate in having many breeding populations in the wild they can be found in various habitats but ponds on farmland seem to have the best conditions for them they will readily use a garden pond if they are in your area as long as it's quite large and deep and has some clear margins to allow the males to display to the females at breeding time they prefer ponds with no frogs, toads or fish although they will tolerate other newt species in fact, they eat other newt species, don't
2: they, sometimes? They eat virtually everything they can get their teeth <laughs> around, unfortunately.
1: However, if a pond is large enough, several of these amphibian species can exist in harmony. A garden pond of a metre in depth containing plenty of vegetation could be an ideal place for them. The surrounding habitat is of importance too, as once they have bred, the adult nukes leave the water to find shelter in areas of damp scrub, hedges and ditches, Dead shrubs and log piles close to your pond will provide the shelter you require, or even galvanised water buds, in this instance. So that was quite a treat to find that. We've, we've got a series of courses this year as well, where we'll be involving people in all sorts of pond dipping and uh, freshwater expeditions, so hopefully we'll find a, a lot more great Crested News then. One thing that I wanted to ask you, I mean, do you, Jenny, would you consider that natural gardening is important. How important do you think natural gardening
2: is? Personally, I can't think of anything more important. Like. But then I'm, I'm not only very interested in all natural history, but I'm a fanatical gardener, and to put the two things together is really how I live my life. I think gardening is exceptionally important to everybody. I think it gives a sense of hope. I think it gives people something to look forward to month after month after month in the middle of the winter you're thinking wow those hellebores will be coming out soon I think it actually prolongs people's lives I think it, if you're a gardener and you're someone who is interested in the environment and what's happening outside your window there's a very good chance that you'll have an optimistic attitude towards life and I think that gives you a, a good chance of living a long and healthy life because you're also obviously getting plenty of exercise out there If you put wildlife into that mix it's another dimension entirely because you're not only looking forward to your helibores but you're looking forward to the swallows coming back and you're looking forward to the first blackbird or the first thrush singing in the spring and again it gives that optimism that's so important. So on that level for just us as individuals I think it's incredibly important. Obviously on a a deeper level then as heather was saying earlier there are large areas of garden in this country all of which could be good wildlife habitats and the most important thing to say about natural gardening or wildlife gardening is that it works It really does work, and the garden at Wiggly Wigglers shows that. If you get a chance to go to some of the RHS gardens now, they're getting very much into wildlife gardening and natural gardening, you'll see that you walk into a garden like this and it is absolutely buzzing with life. There are birds, there are bees, there are butterflies, there are all sorts of things just running around, flying about. It really does work. And hopefully one of the things that this book will do is not only take you through the journey that Wiggly Wigglers went while they were creating their garden, but it will also show you how to do it yourself that's the objective really it's not just to say what a fabulous garden this is although it is fabulous and if you get a chance to go and see it then please do but it's also to show you how you can do it yourself and it doesn't have to be all or nothing it really doesn't have to be my whole garden is given over to wildlife or my whole garden is going to be a wildflower meadow it can be something that you can do a little bit at a time any little thing that you do even if it's just planting some plants for bumblebees which I was speaking to somebody about earlier if that's the only thing you do it's still a very positive thing and I think probably there's a bit in the book where I kind of sum up how I feel about wildlife gardening without getting too passionate (laughs) but I am passionate about it but this last bit says that a natural wildlife garden in the middle of the Herefordshire countryside sounds idyllic and indeed it is yet this way of gardening and what it represents is available to everyone no matter where you live wildlife gardening is all about making choices choosing to provide a safe, chemical-free habitat for your local wildlife, wherever and whatever that may be, where food and shelter are available all year round. And the wildlife in our city and town gardens benefits even more from this approach to gardening than in a plot in the depths of the countryside. Whether you live in the centre of Leeds or the outskirts of Norwich, wildlife habitat is becoming scarce and impoverished. Everything you do to bring your garden to life will be of immense benefit to the mammals, birds, amphibians and invertebrates in your area. Wildlife gardening is one really important way of appreciating what we still have and ensuring that there will always be some sort of habitat for our native wildlife as countryside continues to disappear under tarmac and concrete in spite of the best efforts of many people. So by making your garden into a refuge for wildlife, you could be contributing to the survival of some of our most precious species. The team at Wiggly Wigglers, with their dedication, enthusiasm and enlightened thinking, have created a very special garden, but not so special that you couldn't do it too.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Jenny. One last question, Heather. What are your dreams for Wiggly Wigglers?
2: Uh, Not a big
0: question then, Rich. No. Um, For me, the idea of gardening doesn't fill me with joy. Practically speaking, I'm not into gardening, but... To me, it's like when you go out for a meal. You go out for a normal meal in a restaurant and you enjoy it. But when you go out for that meal and you find out the beef has been grown by Farmer X and the veggies has been grown by Farmer Y and you understand what that meal's about, it tastes better and it's exactly the same for me in the wildlife garden. I'm not interested in fashion, so we're into purple this year, are we? I'm interested in the fact that when I go out into that garden, I can see those bees nesting in those tubes. And Jenny will tell me what sort of butterflies there. And so it gives that wow factor. I'd like 12.5% of the UK land to feel that feeling because it's yes, fabulous. Absolutely
1: right. If you read this book, you will get a feeling that there's a great deal more to this book than natural gardening. The natural gardening is the theme, but there is, again, as I mentioned earlier on, the attention to detail is all important. And what I will say is thank you very much very for that. Cheers. Thank you.
0: Monty's got his exams this week, so good luck, Monty. And just before he starts, it's over to him for the weekly Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on
1: worms. Research has shown that eating earthworms can reduce cholesterol. The basic essential oil of earthworms is omega-3.
0: My mum has ate a worm. Yuck! Thank you, Monty, and thank you, listener, for tuning in once again. I hope you enjoyed that special from Hey. We'll be back to normal as humans as soon as the show season ends. And podcasts will be back to normal next week. See you then. Bye.